0: Hello, and welcome to NSTA, The Bus Stop. This is the official podcast of the National School Transportation Association. I'm Kurt Mackison, Executive Director. Just want to remind folks about the upcoming Capitol Hill bus-in, scheduled for April 6th through the 8th at the Washington Metro Marriott. If you need registration information, you can always contact us at NSTA headquarters at 703-684-3200. So our guest this week dovetails with the bus in. We have Becky Weber, Managing Director at Prime Policy Group. So Becky, welcome back to NSTA The Bus Stop.
1: Thanks, Kurt. Happy to be here.
0: Great. It's probably been a while since you've been on you know, the podcast. So why don't we just quickly run through you know, what the relationship is between you know, NSTA and Prime Policy Group?
1: Sure. Well, I believe, according to my predecessors, that NISTA and Prime Policy Group have had a relationship for over 35 years now. Um, you're one of our longest serving clients that has been with the firm, even in its uh, in its various name changes going, going back to the early 90s. So we have enjoyed a long relationship with NSCA advocating uh, for you all. We like to say that you bleed yellow and we bleed yellow right along with you. Um, yeah, that's, so we that's uh, great. try to supplement your advocacy work here in D.C.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you specifically have been on this account for a long time. And I'm sure you've seen, you know, so many things that have, you know, gone on. But I think probably one of the major you know, victories for NSTA was the Stop for School Buses Act and how that got uh, folded into the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. So can you talk to, to the listeners about that a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, this really has all illegal passing of top school buses has always been a concern of NSTA. And in recent years, we know through the annual Nasdaq survey that is done, that it is a growing problem. As you all know, there was a particularly horrific accident in 2019, in uh, 2018, I'm sorry, in Rochester, Indiana, where three children from the same family were killed on the same morning by an illegal pastor of a stop school bus as so the kids were trying to board their bus to school in the morning. And that was so tragic and became a galvanizer for action. The accident occurred in Congresswoman Jackie Walorski's district in Indiana, and she reached out to NSTA, wanted to to work on a bill that, that could address this. And we began a really wonderful relationship with her at that time. We helped her to draft the bill that became this called the Stop for School Buses Act, um, which was introduced in 2019 in House and Senate. It was always a bipartisan bill. Congressman Walorski reached out to Congresswoman Julia Brownlee from California to be her partner on this bill. And Ms. Brownlee serves on the Transportation infrastructure committee, so that was an important partner since they would ultimately have to be the committee to move this forward. She also reached out to Senator Todd Young in the Senate to become our Senate leader over there, along with Senator Gary Peters from Michigan. So we began this journey back in 2018, and it was finally enacted in November in the infrastructure bill. It's a it's a really good example of how long sometimes good pieces of legislation take to move from conception to consideration to enactment. And this one took about three and a half years. That's actually pretty short <laughs> for for some pieces of legislation. But it was enacted and signed into law in November. We're actually in the process of working with NHTSA who will be the implementing agency over at DOT. Just to recall, the bill requires NETSA to do a number of things. Um, And in brief summary, that is to do a review of all the state uh, laws on illegal passing. They're all different. And all the enforcement mechanisms and make recommendations on best practices in terms of what seems to work the best. It asks them to review all the various technologies that are out there, and also make recommendations on best practices. It asks them to review other issues that we believe are involved in the increase, such as distracted driving, daylight savings time, location of school bus stops, lighting issues, and driver education materials. And it asks them to conduct a public service messaging campaign on the issue. Uh, They're very good at this. Um, If you think about things like click it or ticket on encouraging seatbelt use, uh, this kind of thing. And we actually are having our first meeting with NETSA next week with NISTA leaders to talk about their plans for implementing the bill. So yes, it was a great victory and hopefully it will be the first step toward reducing this phenomenon and saving kids' lives. It is the biggest uh, safety problem in school bus transportation, and it's all occurring outside of the bus, not inside the bus.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, and and there was another large piece uh, of that legislation that affects the, you know, the school bus world, and that's the Clean School Bus Program out of the Environmental Protection Agency. So, you know, can you share with our listeners, you know, like, you know, what provisions were in the IIJA and, you know, how that affects our membership?
1: Sure. The Clean School Bus Program is a new EPA program included in the infrastructure law. We began advocating as an STA on the electric school bus initiative, the minute that Senator Joe Biden was elected president, we knew that this was a high priority for his administration. And we put a um, white paper together early last year and talked to all the stakeholders that we could on Capitol Hill, at EPA, in the vice president's office, and the president's office, in um, his domestic policy council, et cetera, to make sure that whatever program was created, ultimately, that it would work for private school bus contractors. We also tried to just make them aware of some of the issues involved. NISTA's main concern was just that we have full and fair access as the same as public school districts and whatever was created. Ultimately, what the, was included in the infrastructure bill is a $5 billion program over five years time half of that two and a half billion is dedicated to zero emission buses and that's at this point primarily electric the other half is can be spent on electric or natural gas propane biofuels other what we refer to as nearly zero emission buses so that's how the compromise that the Congress came up with. There are several ways to to access the money, either through direct grants or through some mechanism that, that either rebates or vouchers they will set up with OEMs or financers of school buses, or also through school bus trade associations. So there are several ways that private school bus contractors will be able to access this very large pot of money. The funding is also available for electric charging stations. We have had several calls with EPA, and we've also weighed in with written comments to them. Uh, We're continuing to be in conversation with them as they roll this program out. We expect that we will see something actually this month on some kind of rebate program, and maybe by April, they'll be rolling out the rest of the program. So this is a a very big deal. It's separate and apart from the Diesel Emission Reduction Act program, the DERA program that's been in existence for 20 years. Those funds uh, remain available. We're actually in the process of Congress deciding what the final fiscal year 22 number will be for DERA that should be decided by next week and those funds are available for electric buses as well as clean diesel new buses and clean diesel equipment and 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 retrofits so the two programs will 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 be parallel but but separate and their funding is separate their authorizations are separate so that's kind of a unique opportunity for private contractors to access two programs now to make the the school bus fleet, which is already very clean, even cleaner. I would be remiss, too, if I just didn't mention another portion of the infrastructure bill, which is often forgotten, is that it also contains a five-year surface transportation reauthorization law that will fund surface programs through fiscal year 2026. And we dodged a number of bullets in the enactment of, of those provisions that would have put a lot of new mandates on school buses, including seat belts, including fire suppression technology and equipment, and fire protective seats to sleep apnea regulations, etc. We were able to keep all new mandates except for automatic emergency braking, which we supported off of that, off of the reauthorization bill. So, it's another uh, big victory for MSPA.
0: Yeah, and that's, you know, obviously an ongoing, you know, process uh, that, uh, as you mentioned, we kind of dove into at the beginning part of, you know, last year, 2021, and uh, continues to evolve. So, yeah, it's been a big um, big challenge for us. Um, you know, getting, you know, the attention of EPA and, and getting, you know, our points on uh, the operation of the school bus infrastructure, you know, kind of front and center. One other thing that keeps bubbling up is, you know, obviously the driver shortage and with the driver shortage comes this whole discussion about the CDL process. And we've, we've had some traction with, you know, you know looking at the CDL process from the lens of the responsibilities of the school bus driver is there anything you know that that you can you know tell the folks on you know how that how those discussions are going and what might be an evolution where we can utilize the driver shortage to kind of assist you know our members in in streamlining a CDL process Sure
1: as most of your members know we've been working on a proposal on the uh, regulatory side to to convince the federal motor carrier safety administration to waive the under the hood requirement for school bus drivers because it's really unnecessary doesn't impact safety and in fact operationally we don't want the school bus driver leaving his seat to open the hood of a school bus so we were uh, sent a letter to FMCSA and began conversation with them, actually, in the last year, President Trump's in this administration on that. They weren't too interested at that time, but this fall they got reinterested and we spoke with them again about this. And they did issue a, ra- a waiver, a 90-day waiver on January 3rd, which actually expires in two weeks, And it, but it can be renewable Basically, the waiver does permit states to waive that requirement and create a a specially marked license for new school bus drivers that would prevent them, if they get this new license, from driving a truck or a motor coach without being retested. So we, we are hopeful that this will be extended. On the legislative side, we are also working with two members of Congress. are interested in in pursuing a more permanent uh, solution to the school bus driver shortage by making this kind of waiver permanent and creating a special license for school bus drivers. Before we knew that FMCSA was going to issue a waiver, they were planning on introducing a bill in January. With the issuance of the waiver, they have decided to just hold and see how it goes with the waiver but we are still in conversation with them. And given that the major hiring season for school bus drivers is not now, it's in the summer months, um, we we may be pursuing a legislative remedy at the same time that we're working with FMCSA to extend this waiver. So we're hopeful that this will remove one of the impediments to bringing on new drivers and, and make a, uh, some kind of debt in the school bus driver shortage which is which is so severe.
0: Yeah. And and uh you know, as we keep mentioning a lot of work to be done on this one, so we appreciate the the update. One other big piece of legislation that kind of falls through the cracks now that you know hopefully we're on the downside of, you know, the COVID nineteen pandemic was the CERTS Act and the CERTS program that got direct relief to contractors. And you know, I guess, you know, there have been two additional efforts with respect to certs, you know, that have been undertaken by the coalition. Do you have any update on, you know, both the, you know, refunding of certs as well as the tax deductibility issue?
1: Sure. The The coalition has been stayed together through almost two years' time now to get certs enacted, get certs implemented. And at this time, we're pursuing a refill for certs, as well as trying to achieve tax exemption for the certs grants from your gross revenues and also making any expenses that you spend with the certs grants tax deductible. On the certs refill, we know from Treasury that they received applications that showed a total loss across all three eligible industries of $8.4 billion. So we were, and, and we received two from Congress. So we were, we, we felt good that we were pretty close when we asked for 10 billion in 20, 20, 2019, we were pretty close to estimating what the actual loss in revenues from 19 to 20 would be. So we, and that also, that figure does not include any loss of revenues in calendar year 2021, which the CERTs program doesn't cover. So we asked as a coalition officially for another $6 billion to refill the CERTs program. There is a proposal on Capitol Hill in the Senate, led by Senator Cardin from Maryland and Senator Wicker from Mississippi, that refills a number of private industry programs that felt they did not receive uh, enough in the first round, and that includes the search program, the restaurant relief program, the venue relief program, and then there is reportedly some funding in there for minor league baseball, which I know Kurt will, will support, <laughs> <laughs> We also experienced uh, some great losses, obviously, due to COVID. The bill is about $60 billion. It has not been introduced And the language has not been shared that we have been told that we are, quote unquote, in it. It is a bipartisan effort. And there are four Senate Republicans who have signed on to the bill. Senator Cardin has asked us to find at least 10. And that we have been working on that for several months. And it has been very tough sledding. There is a a point where we're up against a lot of things. Let me just put it that way. The the number one issue being that the Congress wants to be done with COVID. They they don't want to provide any more COVID relief. $6 trillion was given out for COVID and they believe we've emerged from it and they want to move on. That's the biggest issue. The second issue is spending. Their appetite for just Non-offset spending is waning with inflation going up the way it is. And the Republicans who are involved in the effort are insisting that at least half of this package be paid for. And what that means is you've got to offset it with other funding. And there's not a lot of coins in the couch anymore to pull back. What they're looking at is some unused COVID money that's still out there that has been given out to states, locals, schools, in some respects. There's some unspent money in various pots here and there. And they are they are saying, if we're going to pass a program to refill these programs like CERTs, then we need to pull back money that's already been appropriated. And that's always very difficult. And they've only been able to agree on about $8 billion of offsets when they are insisting at least half of it be paid for, which should be closer to 25 or 30. So that's another hurdle. I'm, we are still working, but I'm, I'm not very optimistic that that will be successful, though we are still working, trying to make the case. The other issue we're working on is to achieve t- equal tax treatment for search. Cert- as was provided for other covid relief the ppp program the restaurant relief venue relief all of those programs received tax exemption status so you did not have to count that federal grant in your part of your gross revenues you could also deduct the expenses so we're just looking for parity on that we do have more optimism that the tax provision may be able to get done. Um, It really is going to depend on whether there's another bigger tax package moving uh, that gets attached to either the omnibus appropriations bill or there's going to now be a supplemental appropriations bill for Ukraine. There's China competes bill on chips. So there's, there's few other locomotives, as we like to think of them here in, in Washington, where we would just be trying to hitch a ride with with that tax provision. So still a lot of hope alive that we can achieve that. Yeah,
0: and a lot of work obviously going on in, in D.C. So I'm just going to end up with, you know, once again mentioning that the Capitol Hill bus-in is scheduled April 6th through the 8th. And, and maybe Becky, before we run, you can outline it's going to be different than the the typical bus in where we go up to the hill just because how events have transpired isn't going to make that feasible, but it is going to be a time where we can really focus in on all the issues and then some, you know, that you've discussed on this podcast over the course of three days.
1: Sure, we uh, we're very lamentable that we have not been able to have the typical uh, bus in for the last two years, which has really been the signature event of NSTA and very popular. And I know many many members are are itching to get back to Capitol Hill as we are. The problem is that Capitol Hill is will probably be the last place to completely reopen. Our <laughs> signs, even this week, you're gonna. Tonight, you're going to hear the president talk about bringing uh, federal workers back in some hybrid fashion for, that have mostly been working remote. You do have some offices on the Hill that are open and doing meetings, and but you still have the great majority of offices where their staff is working remote. We understand that, and then, you know, unfortunately, that tends to divide on partisan lines. You're hearing a lot of Democrat offices say they're going to bring their staff back over the next few months, but they're still wary about doing in-person meetings. So there's still going to be a lot of uh, remote, hybrid type of situations. But the biggest problem is just getting into the buildings. They have established a very restrictive protocol to get into the House and Senate and Capitol Complex. Requiring escorts, requiring identification, a badge, and being escorted to your meeting, and then outside the entrance, and then having to go through that whole rigmarole to do a second meeting. So it's 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 very difficult, and that's being done for COVID as well as a reaction to the January sixth protest that they are saying that they need to know who is roaming around in the capital. So it's not a free and open situation yet. We're hopeful that as the months go by and 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 the justification for covid is over that that will be lifted. But for now we're going to do a different kind of a bus in just to get everyone back in the habit of coming back to DC. And we're going to have a number of uh, educational seminars, as well as bring some agency and Capitol Hill speakers to the Marriott so that we can hear from them uh, and maybe some congressional staff as well on the on the key issues that we've been working on. So that's the plan. We'll also be have hosting a fundraising event, which is a typical component of the bus-in for Representative Walorski, who was our leader on our number one safety party, which was the Stop for School Buses Act. So I think it will still be a great event, different. Uh, We have to adapt, like you all have had to adapt your uh, operations. We're going to have an adaptable bus end, but I think it will still be informative and educational and Uh, engaging for NSTA members. And I would encourage all of you to come. Oh,
0: great. And like I said, you know, if anyone needs registration information, they can always contact the NSTA headquarters at 703-684-3200. Hey, Becky, uh, March is Women's History Month. You're kicking off once again. This year, (laughs) NSTA, the bus stop, is celebrating Women's History Month by having you know, our guests throughout March be, you know, women of note in the industry. So thanks for all you do for us and really being a trailblazer, you know, with respect to the student transportation industry. So we appreciate it. Looking forward to seeing you in person in Washington, DC in April and thanks for joining us at the bus stop.
1: Thank you, Kurt.